listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome back to I Might Be Wrong. You are listening to Rich and Henry. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. We've um, got stuck in lockdown a little bit, so this is a nice <laughs> way to, to chat our way out of it. Yeah. One of the things that I found with lockdown, while obviously... 2020 has been a bit shit actually it has been nice to spend a bit more time doing virtual catch-ups with people that i don't necessarily see all that much like you you and i you're one of my best mates and we'd see each other face to face maybe four or five times a year before we started this and now we're on on average probably every two or three weeks we jump on and do a set of recordings yeah or we're at one another's houses. It is good. And it's easier to get in touch with like family as well. So yeah, there are, there are silver linings to this um, shitty pandemic. Absolutely. And we're all about the silver linings. Exactly. So give us a, another silver lining. It's your choice this week. Who have you got? Well, you dragged us all the way back to the 90s. So I figured I'd stick with something from the 90s and go with Gomez. Gomez, dredging them out from the back of the sofa. <laughs> absolutely well they again they're another one from my late teens that sneakily are quite a big influence on my tastes really and i hadn't really thought about it until i went back and had a listen so i'm pulling liquid skin as the album that we're going to talk about and i know bring it on will probably be a lot of people's choice from gomez if you're picking a favorite album but for me even though I'd got into them through hearing Whippin' Piccadilly on XFM and loving that because it's an absolute belter of a tune, I don't think I bought Bring It On as an album when it was first out. I think I bought Liquid Skin and then went back and bought Bring It On within a year or two after that. But I'd been listening to them, you know, on the radio, at people's house parties, all that kind of stuff for for a long time. Yeah, because I was introduced to Bring It On and Liquid Skin was a kind of follow-up, which it made less of an impact with me. Right. I love Bring It On. Bring It On's my my favourite of their albums. So um, so I was kind of interested in in why you picked Liquid Skin. And is that just because you came across it first? No, I actually came across Whip and Piccadilly first. That was, that was my first introduction to them. And then I saw that Bring It On had won the Mercury Music Prize. It beat Massive Attack's Mezzanine. It beat the Verve's Urban Hymns. You know, it was it was kind of a bigger deal wow. than I remember it being at the time. And and actually, it went platinum. So it wasn't like they were this sort of under-the-radar band. Really? I Well, there were three facts that I didn't realise. <laughs> so you, that's some big bands that they've taken on right. in the Mercury. Although the Mercury's a little bit weird anyway. We've, we've been down that rabbit hole. <laughs> right. The Spice Girls have been on there. So, you know, enough said. But yeah, I, I'm surprised at the platinum selling side of it. Yeah, absolutely. Because they don't really sound... They're not in the kind of indie bucket, are they? Right. Really? Well, okay. So their description on Wikipedia (laughs) is an English indie rock band from Southport comprising Ian Ball on vocals and guitar, Paul Blackie Blackwood on bass, Tom Gray, vocals, guitars, keyboards, Ben Otterwell, vocals, guitars, and Ollie Peacock, drums, synths, and computers. 
So there's a lot going on there. And again, they're a band with a lot going on in their sound. They build up these big, hazy soundscapes. But the whole thing is driven by this thing of they have multiple people that sing. They've got multiple people that songwrite. They do a lot of things with both guitars and pedals and looping things on tape and all that kind of stuff. So they they fuck around with music a lot. Because I just think when I first heard them that they had crawled out of some swamp in Mississippi or something and like with this kind of blues shuffle that they keep doing and so it's just weird that they're a British band right and there's definitely southern blues and psychedelia underpin everything even though they span a number of different genres from that some of their stuff straight up indie some of it's pretty folksy there's some pretty standard rock but there's also this kind of crazy experimental side to them. There's this psychedelic side to them. I think part of it is their use of hazy, clangy guitars and lots of harmonies do create a lot of that psychedelic feel to their albums. Yeah, I, I get that. I don't know. I don't know whether it's the vocals as well that just... Because um, there are a couple of singers, aren't there? Three of them. Okay, so there, so there are three, and and their voices are very different as well, which which kind of adds mm-hmm. to the um, to the confusion. So I think the vocals are one of the things that keeps me coming back to Gomez, listening to that sort of gravelly sound to the vocals. <laughs> There's something gonna, yeah. very engaging there, and it, I don't know that everyone will love it, but it's it's so unique and different to a lot of what was mainstream when this was out. It's mad, isn't it? Because I was going to say exactly that. He sounds like he's singing through gravel. But <laughs> if you described his voice to someone, and even if you sampled it and just played a three, four second soundbite of that voice, it doesn't sound pleasing to the ears in a short space of time. But you end up listening to an album and it just it just sings along and it, and it, it sounds good. I think there's an element of the same thing that you get with doves and with elbow in that the gruff gravelly voice is offset by the lush musical backdrop and so those two things together mean that it's it's never just one thing or the other you've got a lot of that stuff going on together yeah so while i love all the vocal stuff i do think that part of what sets them apart is their storytelling so they do a really great job of all sorts of stories in the songs. And we'll we'll talk about some of these songs individually when we come on to, to talking through some of the albums. But there's that along with how musical they are. So they're all multi-instrumentalists. They all play different instruments on different songs. And you can see how much they love the musicality when you listen to their music. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. All of the albums are musical, aren't they? Yeah. It, it's not like they just have a a stock set of chords and they just play the same things and sing different verses. There's a lot to each of the songs. Yeah. And talking about the albums, so obviously you and I touched on this before we started recording. You prefer Bring It On, presumably because that's the first album of theirs that you heard. Yeah. And it's not just because of Whipping Piccadilly. Mm -hmm. I think Get Myself Arrested was clearly, it must have been in the charts because everyone knows it. Right. And it's kind of a sing-along track. So oh, it's great. I think just that whole album just gets lodged in my head. And th- the thing I don't get about Liquid Skin is it doesn't sound very different. It sounds really, really similar to Bring It On. And 
it's almost as if it's just a continuation of the first album, which maybe for me is why it doesn't stand out so much. You're actually spot on there. So they talk about the two albums as being basically the same. They were they didn't stop writing Bring It On, tour it, go off and do other stuff, and then come back and go, right, we need to write a second album. Let's get started on Liquid Skin. It was a fluid process throughout the whole time when they were writing Bring It On. That was you know, released because the record label wanted to release something and then stuff that was carrying on that they'd been writing just goes into Liquid Skin. And now the main difference between the two is that a lot of the stuff on Bring It On was recorded on whatever setup they had in their in their garage versus for Liquid Skin, they actually had some budget and they could go into the studio now that's a thing that often with these small garage rock bands scares bands. They don't know what to do in the studio. They're they're a little bit overwhelmed by the possibilities, and so they end up not doing anything. We're both athlete fans. Athlete's first album is wonderful because it's very DIY. The second album is studio heavy and lush and just doesn't have that charm about it anymore. Whereas for me, Liquid Skin is is a step forward in terms of being able to polish and really nail the sound. And they talk about this as well. They say that Liquid Skin was the step from the four track and recording in a garage to them accepting that they were now doing professional music. And they say, oh shit, we somehow got a record deal. We're a band. We go into the studio now. We're not going to hack it together. And there was an excitement because there are less limitations. And I think you hear that. It brings an additional confidence in Liquid Skin. And for me, Bring It On's great. It's very DIY. It's very rough and ready around the edges in places. It's wonderful for it. But Liquid Skin doesn't have a bad track. It's all brilliant. I put it on and I don't know that I'd listened to it for a decade. And I knew all the words. I loved every moment of listening to that album. And it just that's what it does for me. They do have that bit of swagger about them that means you can put their albums on now. And they do, I think timeless is the wrong word for Gomez. I don't think they're a timeless band. I think they are of the 90s or the early 2000s when we were listening to them. But they're so distinctive. I think that's the the kicker that if you say Gomez to anyone today who grew up listening to that kind of music at that Mm -hmm. time, everyone will go, yeah, Gomez. Yeah. Everyone knows them. They've they've got that style. And they have that laid back, hazy summer sunshine feel to the album, um, both albums, in terms of you can imagine yourself when you're listening to it, sitting in a field at a festival, blue skies overhead, or late night boozing in a house party, which is no coincidence because I'm sure it's the same for both of us that this got played <laughs> done, a lot of both. house parties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've, I've done the festival thing with Gomez as well. And um, although... I think the field that I was in was uh, about knee-deep in mud when I saw them, so lying down wasn't an option. But mm-hmm. the festival aspect and the house party aspect, aspect definitely part of it. And it goes back to what you were saying about storytelling. Yeah. A lot of the stories that they tell are about having drinks with your friends and, and having a good time. And so yep. so when those songs come on and they start singing about that that stuff, a lot of the time you were doing that at the same time as they were singing about it. Right, absolutely. So when you got the album and you put it on was it the kind of full album experience where you had to play it start to finish and there were you couldn't like cherry pick tracks or were there tracks in there that just bowled you over when you first heard them and because sometimes with albums there are songs that are so good you kind of repeat them and repeat them 
and some albums you just let it play and what, what how would how did you how did you like listen it's a good question um because at that point everything was on cd you put it on the cd player you hit go i would just listen to these albums through and i think from that perspective it works brilliantly it's it's very much it's a 90s album it's it's what you would get back then you wouldn't get eh, sometimes you'd have bands that were aiming specific things as singles but i don't think gomez were that type of band the irony is one of my favorite songs and possibly my favorite gomez track is called bring it on on liquid skin right. <laughs> now they wrote this song while they were writing bring it on the album and they couldn't quite get it right and so it ended up being pushed back and not being included in that album and actually it was with the studio equipment and the ability to do things in a more polished way that actually got this song to the level that they were comfortable with that shows quite a quite a chunk of maturity to do that yeah when you've got a song you really want to play and you want to get it in front of people and you hold it back just because you can't get it sorted and i think there are a lot of lesser artists would have just chucked it out i love the intro here so you've got this simple guitar intro with the phasing that's going on and then those harmonized voices sort of weaving in and around that and then everything kicks off and we go yeah and i love that and they're really good at doing that without being totally instrumental. And what I mean by that is they they don't try and blow your speakers out, but they still make right. a make a really good racket. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. And they do that some of the time. Some of their stuff's a little bit quieter though. So the next track I was going to bring up was We Haven't Turned Around, which is this beautiful bluesy ballad. It's really accomplished. It's such a wonderful tune. But again, it showcases the vocal strengths and all the harmonization that they do really, really well. And just that lyric of, so you want to spin the world around and everybody in it. And it just sort of encapsulates that song. And I'll give you that. With the the harmonizing and the vocals, I think Liquid Skin, they just gel really well together. And maybe that's the studio. Maybe it's just because they've recorded more together. But those harmonies just work just that little bit better than on the slightly more amateurish it's a bit harsh but the the earlier albums which are less polished i don't think it's unfair diy amateurish it's 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 garage sound because most of the stuff on that album was demos or demos that had been played with and and polished up to a standard that they could release them it wasn't oh we're going to the studio and we'll record a brand new album from scratch for bring it on apparently this track was initially called candorel after the jazz guitar player and the chorus was totally different. And then they went into Abbey Road to use the strings there. And they talk about the fact that all of a sudden, all of a sudden we were in a room with 30 string players telling them what to do. I don't think one of us could read music. It was exciting and a great experience. <laughs> and these guys just seem to be very positive and like, yeah, let's do stuff. Let's do stuff. We can do stuff. Let's try it. And that's something that I think comes across in their music. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Even though they've taken things like blues influences they haven't gone backwards and tried to make a blues record they've done their own thing right well you say that the next song i was going to talk about is rhythm and blues alibi oh i love that song so much it is great and on the surface of it it's poking fun at 90s r&b so it has that opening lyric of you can write your tunes with rhythm and blues as your alibi and it's sort of this thing of like oh you can get away with anything if you just call it r&b and 90s r&b I'm sure we'll have listeners who disagree with us, but 
I found it deeply uninspiring as a genre. I didn't like it. I thought 70s and 80s R&B was much more inventive, much better as as a musical thing. And 90s R&B was just this pop-ized version of it. Yeah, and I think there was this... Uh backlash against it and i guess gomez mm-hmm. just jumped on that bandwagon i do remember the musical press having a go at r&b in the 90s right and they actually say that they weren't trying to just have a pop at that it was as tongue-in-cheek having a go at themselves as it was because all of modern music is or most of modern music has roots in that earlier rhythm and blues sound that you yeah. get from the kind of mid-century you know all of those recordings and Ottawell actually says about this, we'd been writing songs together for about a year because I'd been in a band for about a year. I thought it was funny because it was sort of taking the piss out of R&B music as it was at the time, but also taking the piss out of the band and probably me particularly. So it was sort of reflecting on that on themselves as well. But I think people didn't pick up on that. They just saw it as this dig at R&B generally. Yeah, although I think you give them that. I mean, they... They're not definitely not a nasty band, are they? They're not no. the kind of band who are kind of right. They're not starting and, wars. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, it wouldn't be like an Oasis v Blur spat, would it? Right. Yeah. They've, there's not Gomez v anyone in in this time. <laughs> Gomez v Craig David. But it actually is a really great tune as well. It's got this really nice major into minor and back again progression, which keeps things interesting and moves the songs along. And I love the strings on here as well are just wonderful whatever they did in the studio with those people when they couldn't read music and tell them what to do they, <laughs> they did a really great job I, I do wonder when you get a proper orchestra and some really well-trained musicians coming into play session tracks whether sometimes some of them just go you know what just let us riff this and we can do it ourselves and just knock it out of the park because they must do this all the time yeah like we know what you're aiming for we can hear the tune that you've already laid down we'll work it out <laughs> yeah yeah just just tell us if we're on the right lines so yeah i could go on about everything on liquid skin because like i said i don't think there's a weak track on here i just love the whole thing but we should probably talk about some of their other albums because there's some great stuff that they've released generally and we should talk about bring it on because we touched on whipping piccadilly it's such a fun song i love that kind of cute opening acoustic guitar riff and then it goes into a mad sampled keyboard sound i think that kind of like up and down thing that's sort of fucked around with i don't even know what it is i think it's some kind of pedal that they used yeah it goes all over the place for me whipping piccadilly though is the uh it's just the the lyrics Mm -hmm. you know just the the not enough hours in our day and the trip yeah it's great so there's there's an interview with the enemy that they did on the on i think the 20th anniversary of bring it on so if you're interested go and search that out because i'm just going to quote from that the story goes we all went to see beck at manchester academy in 1995 on the odelay tour and beck was ruling the world at that point in time he was just incredible and his band were the best band i'd ever seen and beck back then was a big deal it's massive yeah the person that was dressed in a suit looking like a lunatic in that song was beck and the other person was our mate who took the string out of the bottom of his coat and was literally whipping the floor of piccadilly station in manchester that night he was completely on one no so that's what whipping piccadilly is that is what whipping piccadilly is so that song was a bit of an anthem for me back at school with with our friends because it was all Mm -hmm. that kind of you're just running around with your mates having a fun time and that's right up there in my kind of 
tunes that when I put it on, it makes take me right back to stuff like that. That's it. Absolutely. I'm the exact same. And it is it's a great tune in and of itself. I don't think it would have all those memories attached to it if it wasn't what it is musically, but it is an absolute belter. Yeah, exactly. Anything else kind of spring to mind on that album? Yeah, a couple others. So Tijuana Lady. So they wrote a bunch of stuff around almost made up trips where they were sort of dreaming about escaping small town England and going going to places like Mexico. It's just a brilliant piece of chilled out psychedelic folk rock. Yeah. And if you want gravel voices, the the gravel (laughs) just goes to the max on Tijuana Lady. And you've already mentioned it, but Get Myself Arrested. It's a belter of a southern blues rock track. Yeah. I think for me, the the songs on here are just that little bit better. I just, just love them. But then partly that's just because that's what I, I really grew up with. It's that first album attachment, isn't it? Totally. What about later albums? Did you get on, uh, what's the one? Um, uh, In Our Gun? In Our Gun, yeah. Yeah, so I bought In Our Gun when it came out. And I liked it, but it didn't grab me quite as much as Liquid Skin. So I've listened to this a lot, and I like it as an album. There's some great tracks. So... Shot Shot, that urgent guitar intro is just brilliant. And Detroit Swing has a great bassy intro and it's sunny and upbeat. And that, that's another great track that's that's good on there. But there's a lot of stuff on this album that is fine and it's nice and it sounds like Gomez and it's it's decent, but it, it doesn't grab me in the way that anything on Liquid Skin and Bring It On does. Yeah, and this is where I lost track with them as well because mm-hmm. I also bought in a gun and I also kind of thought it was a little bit samey so beyond that my Gomez knowledge is just blank same here except when I decided earlier this week to go and listen to some more Gomez in in anticipation of recording split the difference is bloody great okay I'm only just getting into it now but it's totally hooked me in I I really like it what kind of style is it so it's it's more kind of Gomez like but it's got maybe a bit more a bit more experience and a bit more experimental stuff going on that it's just a step up above what they did within our gun so do one and three sins are the opening two tracks and they're more of the kind of classic gomez american blues rock (laughs) it's called do one yeah do one and then we don't know where we're going is it's really on edge and honestly the the closest thing i can get to is radiohead benzish rock whoa okay right and his his lyrics on there are the vocals are pushed massively towards that gravelly limit it's it's almost like they've taken his lyrics and filtered them through gravel amazing yeah, it's really good, and I'd absolutely go and have a listen to that. If you if you like Liquid Skin and Bring It On, go and have a listen to this album, because I was surprised. I thought I'd let go of Gomez at the right time when they weren't releasing anything good anymore. And this, this album's really good. So this is, what, mid-2004 to it came out, which is kind yep. of when there was a lot of very bad indie floating around, or very kind of copybook, textbook indie. So... Yep. It's interesting that it's kind of come out in the middle of all of that and it didn't really get much much acknowledgement. I suspect, and I'm completely just speculating here, that the press didn't really cover it because Gomez were an old band at that point and they there was this element of indie rock press coverage that new is always better. 
So you, you were finding that bands almost had to release a brilliant album on debut or they were thrown to the gutter. Yeah, true. That makes sense. And so I suspect that Gomez were just just not cool anymore. They just were a bit ignored. And actually, they talk about this. So how we operate as an album, they they say by that point, people were actively gunning for us. So we were just like, fuck it. It was a classic case of you walk a tightrope and eventually fall off on the wrong side of it. So we left our label, went to America, which was great, and ended up scoring our biggest album over there with the fifth record, which is how we operate. Really? Yeah, which is a record that no one in Britain has ever fucking heard of. It was a case of, if you don't want us to stick around, we'll just fuck off. Interesting. And actually, even though they're still together as a band, they're now split between the US and the UK. So while they've talked about the fact that they're writing an album at the moment, and they thought it would be out soon, I'm guessing that 2020 being split two sides of an ocean has stalled that a little bit. Yeah, you can see how that might work i mean it's got parallels with well slightly smaller parallels but parallels with the rolling stones who mm-hmm. when they went to the southern states of the u.s and started playing blues and then touring that kind of blues style but with a you know hello we're english kind of twist to it the americans loved it and yeah. so you can see that them going over and doing the blues thing like this but it's clearly not a traditional blues setup that yeah yeah you you can totally get the americans enjoying it yeah again that's sort of interesting because i haven't listened to how we operate very much but while it is very accomplished and i can see why it's successful there it's very american rock and it's sort of lost some of the weird british side to their music the title track's great i actually really like that one but the rest of it didn't grab me nearly as much interesting i will have to listen yeah I haven't made it through to any of the... I think there's one or two more albums after that, but I I didn't get that far. So I will maybe tweet or share something on social media if uh, If it it turns out that A New Tide is is bloody brilliant. Cool. I I had a very brief listen, but I think I got like four songs in before jumping on to to chat to you about it. Yeah. What about live performances? Seen them live? I've never seen them live. So... I actually went back and checked festival lineups for that kind of early thousands period when I was going and seeing a lot of bands at festivals. And it looks like I just missed seeing them at Reading and Leeds because they played just before I went there. And I went to V2000 and they were at V99. The one time I had the opportunity to see them live and fully intended to do so, they headlined the Sunday night at the Avalon stage in Glastonbury in 2010 when I was there because they were a later set i think they didn't start till maybe 11 o'clock or 10 30 or something like that i decided that you know stevie wonders on the main stage maybe i'll go and see 45 minutes of him with kirsty who was one of my friends that i was there with hi kirsty of listening to this and is a massive stevie wonder fan so i was like, i'll go along have a listen to some of his stuff then i can say i've seen stevie wonder and i've enjoyed some of his stuff he was absolutely brilliant and i just couldn't <laughs> drag myself away really so i didn't get to see gomez well yeah i mean that you're up against the legend there so i'm sure gomez wouldn't be too upset if you told them that right and they might have been playing stuff from the most recent albums and i wouldn't have enjoyed it as much anyway yeah true i would go and see them if they release an album in the next year or so and they do a tour to support it based purely on going back and re-listening to all of this stuff and their intermediate albums i would go and see them as long as the new album's not fucking terrible 
Yeah, I, I, saw, I saw them at Glastonbury. And oh, which year? This was back in the war, 98 okay. or 2000, that early. It was, was that kind the of, year when they played a small set and then headlined because someone had to pull out? No, it's before. Okay. It, was, um, it, it was really, it was like they were playing mid-afternoon and it was brilliant. I, I, I made notes of all the bands I've ever seen at Glastonbury when I'm there, just like a <laughs> little ranking out of 10. And my notes just say that they were great. They got the crowd going, mm-hmm. as you can imagine they can. And in a festival atmosphere when they're, at that time they were new on the scene, Yeah, they really just got people together and they, they got a really good crowd going. So yeah, it was a wet field in Somerset, but it was a happy wet field in Somerset. <laughs> I'd imagine they're one of those bands as well where you listen to the records and they're very kind of hazy and chilled out and then you go and see them live and there's just this wall of brilliant sound. Exactly. It was really like that. So Amazing. Yeah, they, they definitely got good marks um, for that performance. I'm very envious. Yeah, so yeah, definitely a good a good gig and they weren't we've said this before, there are, there are bands who can lay down a record brilliantly, but live they just don't quite cut it mm-hmm. but gomez just just smashed it out of the park live they were really good nice good stuff cool cool any closing thoughts no i think that's it i mean i mentioned that from an influence perspective they just generally influenced my psychedelia love i don't know that i really got into american bluesy sounds because of this that came a lot later but certainly they laid all the groundwork for a lot of that enjoyment in my in my tastes yeah they occupy a very distinct spot in my music collection. Mm-hmm. It's a very Gomez-shaped hole. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't really much well, around just it. Wasn't, there wasn't anything else around at that time in the in the British indie scene that sounded like them. They were just Gomez. They were just yeah, Gomez, which is exactly why we should talk about them. So uh, you've done a you've done very well to bring them along. I had not thought about them for a, <laughs> quite a while actually. So so putting them on the table is a, a brilliant idea. Go and have a listen to some of their more recent albums. I will. Because you might be pleasantly surprised. Excellent. Good stuff. Well, thanks, Rich, for bringing them along. That's good. Nice. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Rich. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.